Welcome back to I Cry at Work. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Cashon, a burned-out millennial. If you're new here, this is a podcast I started to complain about corporate America each week and discuss the dumpster fire that is the American workplace right now. I was already doing that each week to all my friends and family anyways, so my millennial instinct kicked in to try to monetize anything you do for fun. And here we are. That really is something that separates us from our parents and grandparents' generation. We are physically incapable of doing anything for pure leisure. You start opening the box to do a puzzle and start laying out the pieces, and then Gary Vee just starts screaming in your head about hustling. Nope. No puzzle for me. The concept of leisure is so foreign to us. Can you imagine a millennial trying to pursue hobbies that our parents and grandparents do? Like bird watching? They just watch birds. Or like build model trains. Look, unless watching those birds and building those trains is going to pay off student loans or help me buy a house, I'm not doing it. No, no, no. I will spend some of this finite time I have on this earth to continue producing outside of my regular work hours to help me pay for my ability to continue surviving. I know, saying it like that sounds so dark. But just because it's sad doesn't mean it isn't true. Just because we don't want to believe that Tom Hanks has a piece of shit son named Chet doesn't mean Chet won't continue to run around without a shirt speaking in a Jamaican accent. It's a devastating blow to the morale of America. Kind of like working right now. The morale of working Americans has got to be at an all-time low. It's got to be a new record. Kind of like our profits. Turns out that's true. We are at a record low for morale, at least according to some Gallup poll. See, this is my issue with all of these research studies and quantification of how people are feeling right now, because it's just common sense. This is a perfect example. This Forbes article about that study is literally entitled, Trust in U.S. Institutions Hits Record Low. Poll Finds. Oh, the poll found that. All right. You know, I had a hunch that may happen after the breach of the United States Capitol building for the first time since the War of 1812. But thank God we figured it out with that poll. We would have never known. What's even better is they broke out the categories in this poll to things literally like Supreme Court, the criminal justice system, the presidency, the medical system. What did they think all of these protest signs over the past three to four years have said? Keep it up. You're doing great. (laughs) Chris Jenner, you're doing amazing, sweetie. It's called Common Sense Forbes. But at least that's still sharing truth, just common sense truth. Unlike all the articles about employee motivation and retention and attracting top talent. If I see one more article that says thanking your employees and giving more developmental opportunities at work is going to fix all of this issue, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. I don't know who's running these articles or if this is like intentional or what, but 
the lack of honesty and reality in these is astounding. I shit you not. I saw one this morning titled, Could the solution to the Great Resignation be as simple as gratitude? A new study suggests yes. What planet are people living on that they would think that is the solution to our problem? Unless we can start paying our rent with gratitude as the currency, we don't give a shit how many thank yous you give us. Have these people been on LinkedIn recently? You can't scroll without seeing posts about being upset over not getting a raise this year, a raise equivalent to inflation, about not being paid a market value. Everything is about pay. Every post from an employee is about not getting paid in some way, shape, or form. And it's not them boasting about pay from their employer. But I think it's getting lost in translation under this umbrella of paying people more. People are saying, pay me more, because as a reminder, money is how we pay to live. And we work to secure that money so that we can live and we start all over again. People are saying, pay me more, because that would make a difference in their problem. But that's summing it up to a proposed solution. The problem we all have is it's getting harder and harder to pay to live. Year after year, we feel less and less secure because our society is run around paying for things that secure our safety and survival. It's getting harder and harder. And it's not just this year as costs go up. This has been going on for a very long time. But year after year, people have less disposable income. That is the problem. That is the issue. It's not because we're greedy. It's not because we have an inflated sense of value. It's because it's basic human instinct to survive. That is the basic human need. Survive. Try to have as much security around your future survival. And that is what is diminishing year over year. We're not asking for more money to buy more fucking avocado toast. We're asking for more money to ensure we have a roof over our head. That is our problem. And I really wish I was kidding with this one, but I am being 100% serious. If you want motivated employees, if you want people to stay with you, if you want to attract top talent and keep top talent, the first step is to help them pay for their ability to live. Yes, I am talking food, shelter, basic necessities. In America, for college-educated people, working full-time salary jobs, unable to pay rent. This concept is so foreign to older generations. But let me pinpoint the biggest issue. Housing. This is by far the biggest issue and how we got here and why we are here that older generations do not realize. And that's why I want to enlighten everyone 
on the reality of what has happened even in the last 30, 40 years when it comes to the price of having a roof over your head. So I don't want to spit a lot of data on this podcast and stats because as I've said, I'm over all that stuff. But just for this episode to paint this picture, the cost of housing has just been run in circles around inflation since 1970. Outpacing would be an understatement. Since 1970, inflation has increased 644%. The cost of housing has increased 1,608. If you're doing the math, that is two and a half times more. So even if you got a raise in line with inflation every year, you would still be two and a half times more shit out of luck at being able to afford housing than you were in 1970. Let that sink in. Two and a half times harder to pay for your housing than in 1970. And that's if you got a raise every year in line with inflation, which we all know never happens. So we're saying pay us more, but what we're really screaming inside is help us pay to live because it's looking grim year after year. So one example with some numbers, and I'm done with numbers, I promise. So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I pulled the numbers for Charlotte for this analysis. So average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Charlotte is 1559 so 1560 you could say. That is up 12% from last year, by the way. So if someone got a 3% raise this year, they are fucked. So that's just shy of paying $19,000 a year. And then you could assume gas and electricity may bring it up to 20. So average is 20. So if someone makes $50,000 a year, their salary is 50000 Don't forget, Uncle Sammy's got to have his little piece. So... In North Carolina, we have a state income tax of just shy of five. So whoever this is is paying like 10 grand in taxes. So take homes 40. So just to pay for a goddamn roof over your head is half of your take home salary. I mean, that's a big issue. Generations above us would never pay half of their take home salary. But the bigger issue with this is. If housing goes up again 12% next year, which would be a very reasonable assumption, and the salary stays at 50, that's now 55% of your salary, your take-home salary, that you are paying for the roof over your head. And I think why this is so frustrating for so many people is we cannot control that cost. Unlike when you are running a business, when you can control those expenses, when you can lay off and you can cut software and all of the levers, people cannot change the market rate of housing in their geography where they live. You can't change that. And so you wonder why we're all saying pay us more. As a business person, you should know if you can't control the expenses, where you go, top line sell more, bring in more revenue. That's why people are saying pay us more. It's because those expenses to just survive are out of our control and going up year over year 
significantly higher than what our top line is going up year over year. You could think of it like a P&L. That's exactly what's happening. So you see the dilemma here? But companies can help with this problem in a lot of ways. Granted, they're a little more creative than what we're probably used to, but this is a problem that can maybe not be fully solved, but at the very least mitigated a lot more than it is today. And those are the conversations I don't hear in any of these studies, in any of these discussions, is this really meaningful change that needs to happen. It's not fucking pizza parties and more social outings as a company. This is back to like a core of human needs and human survival and the construct that we have built this society around, which is that you should be able to thrive and have a high quality of life in America. That's what I want to see these conversations start to address is how we partner together. This does not have to be an us first them. We can work together and make changes and shifts that make a big difference. So that's what I want to take the next few episodes to discuss and address is some recommendations. People might say they're pie in the sky. I don't know, but something's got to change. So for this week, I have a recommendation for a shift companies need to make if it doesn't already exist today. Separating merit from cost of living increases. Right now, so many companies offer one annual raise, generally called a merit increase, and say it is based on individual performance, which we all know is bullshit anyways, but the cost of living has nothing to do with individual performance. Nothing. If you say annual raises are based on individual performance, you know what that's inherently saying? We believe employees must prove to us that they deserve to continue living. Hey, assholes, this is The Workplace, not an episode of Survivor. And guess what? They've already proven their performance meets your expectations. You know how I know that? Because they're still there. If someone is still employed at your company at the time of annual raises, they're performing. Because if they weren't, they wouldn't still be on your payroll. If you have an employee that isn't performing to the level you expect of them, you would fire them. And if you haven't by the time of annual raises, that's your own damn fault. But I get it. If you want to reward people for exceeding those expectations, great. We love it. It's just not the same thing. So separate cost of living versus merit. And when I say pay a cost of living increase each year, not just on general inflation or some bullshit flat number like 3%, I mean actually break that out. An actual assessment of the real cost of living in your area, including housing, and adjusting to maintain their disposable income every year. Because if someone is not maintaining their disposable income year after year working for you, that signals to them their value is depreciating at this workplace. Period. Why would anyone want to work for you if their value is depreciating? Of course they're going to look elsewhere to increase their value. So if you're the leader that says people are our greatest asset, prove it. Make sure that asset doesn't depreciate over time. 
And for anyone listening that's applying to jobs, considering switching, somehow part of all this mess, if you're interviewing with companies in your interview, ask this question. How do you address cost of living increases? And if they start to utter the words based on individual performance, get as far away as you can from that toxic hellhole. If you were in a position to do so, if you're able to do so, and then tell them that's the reason you are no longer interested. Make it clear. Maybe if they keep hearing that and getting that feedback, they'll make some changes. Who knows? But that's it for this week. I'm going to keep some of these ideas going for the next few episodes, mainly because I actually do give a shit about making the situation better for everyone. It, it actually really weighs on my heart knowing people are in this much pain in America. It really does. Like, I know I laugh and joke about a lot of this and cuss, but this is supposed to be a great place. And a lot of people are hurting. And that's why the great resignation is happening. We all need a little more empathy. And we're some smart people, all right? We've got some smart people in this country. We've also got some dumb ones, but we got some smart ones. And I think we can put our heads together and actually do something here. And I, I hope we can, because this is, this can be a great place. We just got a lot of shit to change, but one step at a time. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, if you thought it provided value, please leave a review, rate, review all the things. You can follow on social at Workplace Tears, especially if you like memes. You can visit online at WorkplaceTears.com. Got some merch, some iCryWork stickers, and a mug. And other than that, feel free to reach out. If you have any feedback, if you have any stories, if there's topics you want to discuss, really anything, feel free to reach out, DM, contact on the website, whatever works. But I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear about any situation you're dealing with. But that's it for this week. So thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week for another episode of I Cry at Work.